Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you. We are less than a month from the start of the season, technically three weeks and six days from the kickoff game, Texans-Chiefs, and then four weeks and two days from that first full Sunday. And, you know, Shereen, it really is a strange time because with all the uncertainty and optim- and, and pessimism, excuse me, wrong word, not optimism, pessimism around college football, <laughs> there's a stunning amount of optimism around pro football. It's, it's weird to see both of them playing out at the same time. NFL, fine, college, the house is on fire, and it's the same sport. Well, I think with college, obviously, it's liability, and these schools are, are scared of liability, and these conferences are scared of liability. With the NFL, they're saying, hey, we got a lot of money on the line. We're proceeding forward. But I will say this. Their COVID numbers over the last couple of weeks have looked really good. They've, they've done a better job, I think, uh, the players have, and I think being in training camp probably has helped that. And and maybe a bunch of the players, as we talked earlier, have, do have the antibodies, and many of them probably didn't even know it. But the COVID numbers are looking pretty good as we move forward, and I know it's not going to end. This thing is not going away. They're going to have to mitigate it, uh, and if they can do the right things, you know, maybe we get through this season. We know we're going to start the season. Are we going to get through the season and have a full and complete season? All right, plenty of news still happening in the NFL. One thing the teams are doing, making players and coaches available for video conferences on a daily basis. And yesterday, Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams got his turn to speak, and he took a bit of a parting shot at now former Jets safety, current Seattle Seahawks safety Jamal Adams. Here's Williams from yesterday. You know, we're very multiple in how we do those things anyway. You know, we're not just a state, you know, what <laughs> Jamal may get bored there because they don't use their safety type things and all the different complexities of maybe the, um, maybe uh, 
not showing what they're doing as much as we do. Greg Williams threw some shade your way today. He said Jamal Adams is going to be bored in Seattle because your scheme is not as complex as his scheme. What do you say to your guy Greg Williams in in New York? Well, let's just pass it back to we we, we don't make as many mistakes as he does. Ah. <laughs> Let's, let's let him have a chance to come back. Let's do. We might as well do something coast to coast. That'd be fun. I love it. Well, they're coming here at some point later in the year, so a chance to get him back. But you know, one of the big questions a lot of us have is, will he be utilized the same way as a pass rusher in Seattle as he was in New York? Gosh, we're so simple here, you know, and, and basic that we probably won't get to any of that stuff. Uh, that, that might be a good idea. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> You know, later on in that interview, our buddy Dave Softy Mahler asked Pete Carroll what Jamal Adams brings as a pass rusher, and Pete Carroll said he definitely doesn't bring Greg Williams. So, uh, yeah, a little back and forth, and it was good-natured from from Pete Carroll's perspective, but, you know, it, it, it speaks to something we were talking about yesterday, Shereen, Chris Sims, Rodney Harrison, and I, about that Seattle scheme where, and, and, you know, Rodney's preference is do a lot of different things, have safeties that move around, have pre-snap looks that confuse the quarterback instead of the same system all the time, which is what the – that's kind of what Greg Williams was trying to say. You know, he kind of got lost in the weeds there a little bit. I can relate to that as he was trying to make his point. But that's what he was trying to say. In New York, they would move Jamal Adams around all the time and it would be unpredictable. In Seattle, he's going to be set – in a specific scheme, and it may get a little predictable for the offense, and it may get a little boring for Jamal Adams, and I'm sure Pete Carroll is going to feel uh, otherwise. Yeah, well, I like what the Seattle Seahawks defense has done since Pete Carroll's been there. They've got a lot of players. We're going to talk in a few minutes about possible Hall of Fame players who are playing in the NFL, and there's probably a couple guys from that Seattle Seahawks defense we'll be talking about, and they've done great things with their players and, and built great defensive there. And to me, they've done more than Greg Williams has so far in his career as a defensive coordinator. And a lot of people want to play Greg Williams. You know, you look forward to when he plays the Browns and you look forward when he plays the Saints. And now we're going to look forward when he plays the Seahawks. We did the exercise last week. If the world ends tomorrow, which players make it to the Hall of Fame? We hit some of the positions. One was quarterback and we agreed Russell Wilson would indeed make it to the Hall of Fame if the world ended tomorrow. And, and look, we understand if the world ends tomorrow, there won't be a Hall of Fame. The idea is if football ends tomorrow, and it would take the world ending for football to end, frankly, at this point. So Russell Wilson, one of the criticisms from fans has been they don't use him enough. Russell Wilson reiterated a sentiment yesterday that we've heard from plenty of people in the media, plenty of fans, about how he gets used and when he's turned loose. Here's Wilson talking about that dynamic yesterday. Do you agree with the sentiment that you need to be involved sooner at a, at a higher pace? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think the reality is this, that, you know, early in the games, you know, I want, you know, definitely, you know, rather than us having it be in the fourth quarter, I think to be able to, you know, make some stuff happen. I think we want to, I think we have a crazy stat of the lead of, you know, I think 56 and 0 when we have the lead, you know, by halftime and stuff like that. I think, you know, getting getting ahead is a key thing. You know, I do believe, definitely believe in finishing strong. I think we've won, been won a lot of games in the fourth quarter and, uh, you know, been uh, do some fun things in the fourth quarter and in the games. But, um, you know, let's treat every quarter as the fourth, you know, and I think that's kind of my mentality always. You know, that's something that he shared with Sims and me at the Super Bowl earlier this year. The criticism is they just don't they don't know what to do with him. They don't know how to unleash him until they have to, until they're backed into a corner and they just basically say to Russell, 
go save us. And look, th this is a re even though he's got a smile on his face the whole time, Shereen, this is a real pressure point between Wilson and the coaching staff. He wants an offense that that showcases him more. Not that he needs the help. He just needs the permission. He needs the ability. It's not like he's trying to get them to unfairly pump up his stats. He's trying to get them to just let him be him. And this won't end well between Wilson and the Seahawks if he doesn't at some point pretty damn soon get a chance to just go out and do what he can do. Because we see Patrick Mahomes doing it. We see Lamar Jackson doing it. We see Kyler Murray doing it in the same division. Russell Wilson wants to be able to do it as well, not just when they need it, but all game long. He's pulled a lot of rabbits out of his hat or his helmet, as Jason Witten would say on ESPN's Monday Night Football. <laughs> but, he, but he's engineered a lot of those fourth quarter comebacks. And the reason he's done it is they've been in the two-minute situations where he, he has control of the offense. And they need to give him more of that control because he's shown, he's proved, he's really good at it. So let him do that in the first three quarters of the game. Get you some leads. Give him, unleash him. Give him the reins to the offense a little bit more, and hopefully they do that this season because I think he he's a, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, has been since he came into the league, even as a rookie, uh, and he just keeps getting better and better. And he talks about being in the prime of his career. He doesn't even think he's there in the prime of his career yet, and yet he's already, as we talked about, on a Hall of Fame track in his career. As we are live this Friday morning, currently it's 5.03 a.m. in the Pacific. It'll be 7.03 a.m. when these words are repeated in the re-air, and this will wake up the folks in Seattle. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. There is a belief in league circles that Russell Wilson eventually will not be playing for the Seahawks. Now, that's not a prediction. That's not a guarantee. I'm just telling you there are people – whose opinions should not be ignored, who believe that Russell Wilson eventually will be playing for another team. He's in his early 30s. He's said repeatedly he wants to play until he's 45. And one of the questions and one of the issues and one of the realities of that relationship is whether or not the Seahawks are ever going to use him the way he wants to be used. And not that it's setting up for a coup where Russell demands a new coach, a new coordinator, or whatever. I think his attitude is, and I'm saying I think here, I don't know, but I think his attitude is, you, this is your chance. Do what you need to do, and at some point, if you don't do it, then we're going to work this out, and I'm going to be gone. It can't happen in the next couple of years because of cap issues, but I'm telling you, there is a real belief by people who are in the know, and I can't say much more than that without compromising sources, but this idea that Russell Wilson is going to be in – Seattle for the rest of the decade, uh, it's, it is hardly set in stone, Shereen. And a lot of it depends, I think, on whether or not they let him become the Patrick Mahomes, the Lamar Jackson, the Kyler Murray, where it's not handoff, 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 and then, oh, we're down 10 points, go save our ass, Russell. It's more of letting him go out and do what he does so well from start to finish of the game. Yeah, and it should never come as a surprise to any fan or any team that, that a player may not finish his career where he started. I mean, we saw it with Peyton Manning. We saw it with Tom Brady now this year. Who would have thought Tom Brady would ever leave New England? And yet he has. He's going to finish his career somewhere else. Joe Montana, 
Uh, many, many great players, Hall of Fame players, have finished their careers elsewhere. I think Russell Wilson's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. He may not finish his career in Seattle, but a lot does depend on what happens over these next few years, how much they control they do give him of the offense, and, frankly, how well he plays and how many Super Bowls they win. And I do think this is a Super Bowl t- team. I think they can win the Super Bowl this year with, with Russell Wilson at quarterback. I think they're going to be competitive every single year he's there uh, at quarterback for the Seahawks. But they've got to do right by him to keep him and keep him happy. And one factor that gets so overlooked when we consider the relationship between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, his agent, Mark Rogers, has one NFL client. There is no broader dance that Mark Rogers has to do to try to maintain relationships with John Schneider, the GM, or Pete Carroll, the head coach. There aren't other clients that he currently has with the team or that he's trying to place with the team. He's trying to get the team to draft. None of that's a concern. The only concern is doing the best deal possible for Russell Wilson every chance he gets. It's no mistake. It's no accident. It's no coincidence that Russell Wilson does four-year extensions when everybody else is doing five, six, or if you're Patrick Mahomes, ten years. And every time it's top of the market or close to it, he can drive a hard bargain. At some point, Shereen, you mentioned winning Super Bowls. At some point, somebody in that organization is going to say, what are we doing here? We got the highest paid quarterback in football, but we can't win Super Bowls because we've got, in part, the highest paid quarterback in football. We won the Super Bowl back when we had a quarterback in the second year of a third round slotted rookie deal. And we got back when he was in the third year of a slotted third round rookie deal. At, and, I'm, and I know, I know, see, I know this is not the thing you were expecting this morning, Seahawks fans, as you're eating your post-toasties and drinking your coffee. But, but that is going to be, I think, if it ever falls apart, that's going to be the way the Seahawks justify it. We'll go back to the days of having a young quarterback on a rookie contract, and we'll be able to load the cannon around him, and, and that's how we'll win another Super Bowl if they don't win one in the next few years with Russell Wilson. And it's funny, Mike, a lot of times when teams find these quarterbacks in the third round as they did Russell Wilson, fourth round Dak Prescott, you you look at Tom Brady where he was drafted. A lot of times when these teams find those quarterbacks late, they don't use number one overall draft picks on them. They think they can do it again. They forget all those times when they played all those scrub quarterbacks and couldn't possibly win. Quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Quarterbacks like Russell Wilson don't go on trees. You just don't go out there and pick one. Even college quarterbacks, we don't know how they're going to be, even if they've played really well in college. We've seen it over and over and over again. I don't know how much evidence you have to see. Scouts do not do a good job of scouting quarterbacks. They don't know sometimes when they're going to be really good like a Russell Wilson and wait until the third round to pick him, and sometimes – They draft guys who are number one overall who maybe don't pan out. We've seen that over and over and again. So they need to keep Russell Wilson. They need to keep Russell Wilson happy, and they need to give him the reins and say, take this, take us to the promised land, lead us there, lead us there again. Yeah, we know on the one-yard line you didn't make the play to give us that second Super Bowl, but we're going to give you another chance to get it done. They had a decade of relative stability with Matt Hasselbeck, although they, they didn't get anywhere close to a Super Bowl during Hasselbeck's time, but a lot of quarterbacks over the years in Seattle. And when you go back and start looking at the names and remembering the experiences, you're right. Once you have that great quarterback, it's incumbent on you to try to keep him. But, but if, if these, these little 
percolating issues. Oh, yeah, they did go to the Super Bowl in 2005. What am I talking about? I'd forgotten about that one because it was rigged against the Seahawks and the Steelers won it. I'm kidding, Steelers fans. How do you how do I forget Super Bowl 40? <laughs> Maybe because it was rigged against the Seahawks. Anyway, um, they, they had they had a bunch of bad quarterbacks over the years. They have a great quarterback now. And and when and how does that relationship end? And and do we see Russell Wilson? You know, usually it's the team that's ready to move on. Do we see Russell Wilson ready to move on before the team? It's just something to keep in mind as the years unfold, especially after what he said yesterday, repeating what he said to us back in January about wanting every quarter to be treated like the fourth quarter. That's the closest he's going to come to flashing any type of frustration. He's not wired to do that. But there's something embedded deeper in what he said that I think the Seahawks better be paying attention to. All right, we all were paying attention yesterday to the contracts that were paid out to a couple of tight ends. It started with George Kittle. Look, he wanted a lot more than he got, but the reality was, given the position he plays and the franchise tag money and everything else that's going on and the way he plays, the injury risk, he had to take what was on the table. $40 million guaranteed for injury, $30 million of that fully guaranteed at signing, $15 million per year in new money. It really does take the tight end market to a new level. George Kittle deserving of every penny and the 49ers with a keeper in another guy that they stumbled into. And great job by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, a mid-round pick who has become the best tight end in football. Yeah, no question about it. And they got that done, and they've gotten some deals done. Uh, John Lynch has done a great job in San Francisco with what he's done, getting these guys tied up. And they have a core and look like they're going to be a good team for a long time. And that window is wide open over the next few years with Jimmy Garoppolo. If he can do what they think he's going to do, we haven't quite seen it yet when it matters most. We didn't see it in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, but they think he's going to get another chance to go back there and get it done in the fourth quarter the next time, whether that's just this year or next year or the year after. They have set themselves up uh, very well for the future and, and happy to see that tight end position finally get some love. You know, we don't Give it in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it, it doesn't get that much love. And in contracts, it doesn't get that much love. But it's nice to see him uh, get what he deserves because I do think he is the best tight end in football. Travis Kelsey's pretty close, and he got him some money yesterday too. Yeah, and, you know, one last thing on Kittle. We talked about this yesterday, and I think it's critical this year. With no fans at these games, you need someone who's going to light the fire under the team. And Kittle's got that mentality. He's going to get the team fired up. He's going to get them riled up and ready to go, even if no one is there for any of the 49ers home games. And that's going to be a huge, huge weapon that Kyle Shanahan is going to need to unleash for every home game. You mentioned Travis Kelsey. You know, I'm just starting to think, you look at how long Kelsey's been around and he's on the wrong side of 30 or close to it. And, you know, with all these weapons they have and with Patrick Mahomes there, at some point, do they try to develop the next Travis Kelsey? Well, Kelsey gets his contract, not nearly as lucrative as Kittle's, but but he's on his third contract. It's a great third contract for Travis Kelsey. And this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. When you have a quarterback that is willing to do a ridiculously team-friendly deal and tie himself to the team for 12 total years, you got a lot of flexibility to sign the guys that you want to keep and to work it out so you continue to have Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, and now you've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie running back, on a five-year deal, and Mahomes for 12. They are, they are laying the foundation. You know, and again, it was by no means easy last year, Shereen. They were down double digits in every playoff game, but still they're laying the foundation to have a team that is at or near the top of the stack every single year for the rest of the decade. 
And no question about it, you love what the Chiefs have done. Again, tying up that core, Chiefs and the 49ers both. And and they are set for, for the future, and that window is wide open. And Mahomes is going to be there for a really long time, however long that is, whether it's the next 10 years or not. But, but for the foreseeable future, anyway, he is their quarterback. And we've seen since he came into the league and became the starter in his second season, he's been the best quarterback in the NFL, undoubtedly. I don't think you can argue that point with what he's done with the Super Bowl MVP and a league MVP. So this is a team that's built to win, and it's built to win for the next few years. And maybe it's the next dynasty in the NFL replacing the, the Patriots. And maybe not. They're awfully hard to come by. And I would have thought Aaron Rodgers had more than one Super Bowl title in his career to this point. He doesn't have. They're really hard to win. And as you said, it wasn't easy for the Chiefs last year. But this does look like a team that's set up to at least contend for the next few years. And, you know, you got some guys on that team that are making some big boasts about total numbers. Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, six or more, said Jones. Seven, said Tyreek Hill. That, that's just ridiculous, and my guess is Andy Reid has shut that stuff down. You cannot be thinking that way. You just have to go out and do it. We never heard the Patriots talk that way. You can't set the bar that high. There are too many things that you can't control that can derail your season, especially – this season with the uncertainties arising from COVID-19. All right, let's take a break. If the world were to end tomorrow, and yes, uh, there's a, a greater chance than I ever would have imagined that it will. I'm kidding, I think. <laughs> Current players that are locks for the Hall of Fame. We're going to continue the discussion we started last Friday when this Friday's edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Stop being Dr. Dooms, okay, Dr. Doom? No, I'm not being Dr. Doom. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and I first became aware of the saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. And I thought, that is incredibly morbid. Frankly, sometimes I think at the rate we're going, tomorrow we shall die. All right, on that happy note, let's take a break. Wow. Okay, control room. Wow. Uh, I guess, I guess, I, hey, but you know what? Um, that, that, like, they're taking some liberties. They're taking my words out of context. If everybody else can say they're taking my words out of context, I can say they're taking my words out of context. Meanwhile, if the world were to end tomorrow, the happiest segment of the week, if the world were to end tomorrow, what would happen with all the <laughs> Hall of Famers? And we say that, look, it's amazing how many people take it literally when I pose that question. Obviously, there would be no Hall of Fame. There would be no Hall of Fame ceremony. If the world were to end tomorrow, we'd all be dead. These, these issues would instantly become moot. So to placate those who want to, you know, point out that it's impossible to have a Hall of Fame ceremony if the world were to end tomorrow, if football were to go to where tomorrow, who gets in that's currently playing? We talked about several of the positions last week, Shireen. This week, let's start with the running backs, right? Adrian Peterson is the one who somehow is still playing is now positioned to be the starter and the bell cow for the Washington football team because of the release of Darius Geis. Beyond Adrian Peterson, the first ballot lock, who else do you see playing running back right now who has a chance of getting in if the sport were to end tomorrow? Well, you know, last last week we did 10 years or less, and, and I'm going to talk about a guy who's played way longer than 10 years, and that's Frank Gore. And you know, I think he's done a lot of great things. I think, you know, he's going to end up in obviously the top three in rushing all time. So I think you've got to consider uh, Frank Gore for the Hall of Fame. And, and I don't know that he's going to be first ballot. You know, he didn't, 
he made all decade finally and you know he's made uh no all pro teams but but just his sheer numbers and the length of his career i think you've got to put frank gore in the hall of fame eventually uh, but that's where I would start probably with Adrian Peterson, who to me is a lock, and Frank Gore would be the two guys I, I, I think have the best chance, obviously, of going into the Hall of Fame. When Frank Gore's name comes up and people say, oh, all he's done is played a long time, I say, do you not realize how hard it is to play a long time at that position? At that position. To continue. To continue to line up every year. I feel like between Gore and Peterson, they will continue to play as long as someone gives them a job and gives them a helmet and puts them on the field. They both can pass Emmett Smith. The question is, will there be enough teams that let them have the opportunity to compile the yards necessary to pass Emmett Smith? So I, I, I just think that, you know, it's one thing for a kicker to play as long as Frank Gore has. It's another thing. Oh, sorry, kickers, but it's the truth. It's another thing for Frank Gore to be out there getting banged around on every single time that he touches the football. It's amazing what he's done, and, and I think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, I, especially because who else is in that bucket? We've got quarterbacks. We've got receivers. We've got pass rushers. We've got everything, but there aren't many running backs that stand out. Beyond Peterson and Gore, Marshawn Lynch, I don't know. He's another guy who's been around more than 10 years. But still, for running backs, we, we can't apply that limitation. Is he a guy who's done enough to get to get in if he never plays again? I think it's really close. You know, we talked a little bit last week about the all-decade team. It used to be if you made the first team all-decade team, you were in the Hall of Fame, aside from Drew Pearson. But you were in automatically the, the Good. football Hall of Fame. It, it happened at some point. But now they changed the process this year. So instead of having a first team and a second team, it's all lumped together. And so the, the, the all-decade running backs were Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, and Frank Gore uh, in this last one. And so I think you have to consider him because he made all-decade, but I don't think all-decade is as relevant as it once was with all of them being lumped in together. To me, there weren't four all-decade running backs. You needed to have two on the first team and two on the second team. Uh, but that's the way it was done. But I do think he has a shot. Uh, I'd like to see him play again, uh, you know, another year or two because I think he has that in him. Maybe somebody gives him a chance late in the season like Seattle did last season. But I think he's really close to being a Hall of Fame running back. I think he's now firmly in that Roger Clemens mode that, that I personally thought Brett Favre would do for a year or two at the end of his career or tacked onto it where you just show up for late December and January yeah. and you try to get one more Super Bowl win. And that would cement it, I think. If he could just pull that off, I think it would make it a no-brainer. For now, it's a close call. Other guys, look, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's on track, right? But yeah. but he would would no he question. he hasn't done enough he hasn't done enough to get in if he's if if football goes away tomorrow right no no question 115th in yards a little over 5,000 yards he's been great in the four years he's played but yeah he needs to do way more than what he's done so far you know one guy I didn't realize had as many yards as he did was Mark Ingram he's 64th with over 7,000 yards. Uh, but I wouldn't put Mark Ingram in that category either. I think he's got to do much more in his career uh, to, to get into the Hall of Fame. And so if it ended, yeah, if it ended today, I'm not putting Mark Ingram or Ezekiel Elliott in the Hall of Fame. And LaShawn McCoy is kind of one who I think is right there on the edge as well. What do you think of LaShawn McCoy? Yeah, look, I, I, I right now probably would say no, but what would help him is yeah. the fact that there just aren't many running backs and there won't be. 
right. many running backs because of the way the game has changed. So, you know, when we get 10, 15, 20, 25 years out, if the world doesn't end and if I'm still around to watch it, I, at some point, LaShawn McCoy's name is going to sneak through the cracks because the argument's going to be, we haven't put a running back in in a while. Now, between Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott, that, that's going to change. But even beyond, I mean, really, how many running backs right now are even on track to have a chance at the Hall of Fame? You've got McCaffrey. You've got Elliott. You know, it's too premature for a guy like a Dalvin Cook. He's had one healthy year. It's way too premature for Le'Veon him. Bell. There just aren't a lot of guys. Le- he's going to have to have a career rebirth starting now. Now, not next year, not with his next team. He's got to rediscover his Pittsburgh form now to to get back in that in that position so at some point at some point you know based on and, and look i i know that that what happens in the room is is discreet and private and secret but i've heard enough from people not you i don't want to get you in trouble i've heard from other voters enough to come to the conclusion that at some point somebody's going to stand up and say we haven't had a running back in five years it's time to put a running back in and that's going to help LaShawn mccoy get in yeah and it very well could you're exactly right and 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 i do think that does happen uh, you know, it's happened with the safety position. Lord, we, you know, we didn't put safeties in forever. And now it seems like we're putting a safety in every year to try to make up for that bat log. And I think you're going to see that with, with tight ends. And eventually, as you said, with running backs, because there just aren't a lot of running backs uh, in this class playing right now. It's become such a passing league that, and the running backs have such short careers where we're putting them in year after year after year. And I do think we're going to hit that law after the Adrian Petersons and Frank Gores were we are going to look back and we're going to say, boy, it's been five years, six years, seven years, whatever it's been since we've put a running back in. Adrian Peterson was the last. We've got to, we've got to put a running back uh, in, in the Hall of Fame. And that does happen, and I think it will happen in this case. And we maybe see a guy who goes in who is right there on the edge like a LaShawn McCoy. Let's move from running backs to cornerbacks. The one guy who's a no-brainer who doesn't quite have 10 years in the NFL, he was drafted in 2011 by the Seahawks. Richard Sherman already – is he a lock? It, it, it feels like he's getting into that territory where he's a lock. Yeah, I think he's a lock. I think he's done enough, played long enough, checks off all the boxes, as we'd like to say, Super Bowls, everything else, that, that you go, yeah, Richard Sherman's done enough to get in. I'd say, yes, he's a lock. Now, beyond that, it becomes very challenging to find anyone who definitely gets in. Stephon Gilmore entered the NFL the year after Richard Sherman. He was a first-round pick of the Bills in 2012. I, he's Defensive Player of the Year. You know, it, 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 a guy who's gotten better and better and better and better as his career's unfolded. Is he there yet, or does he need to do more? Yeah, I think he needs to do more. I don't think he's quite there yet, but he's starting to build up that resume with with everything, checking off all the boxes with Defensive Player of the Year and Super Bowls that he's done and maybe some signature plays and uh, the interception numbers. The interception numbers are big for cornerbacks. You do look at that, and so he's starting to do some of that, and, and I do think he's an intriguing name to watch over the next few years, but I think he needs to have a few more years like he played last year. You know, we were interviewing players backstage at Radio City Music Hall 2012, the year of Andrew Luck, RG3, and, and they were just coming through one after another after another after they were drafted. And the one guy that just struck me as ridiculously over-the-top confident was Stephon Gilmore. I, I was just – it was amazing how he just oozed that confidence. And it took a while, but he has finally lived up to that, and he's become one of the best in the game. And I think he can get there if he keeps playing like he has for a few more years. I got one more name for you as it relates to corners. Kind of under the radar, kind of sneaky, uh, Chris Harris Jr. 
Yeah. I, he, he's close. He's played nine years. I have him on my list. He was on the all-decade team, which, again, helps him. Four Pro Bowls, one All-Pro. I think he's right there. You know, needs a couple more years. But, but yeah, I, I think he's an interesting candidate and, and one you have to consider with the all-decade thing. And I'm going to throw another one at you real quick, and that's Patrick Peterson because he's probably a longer discussion for a different time. But you talk about the PED suspension. I think he's done enough in his career – but does the PED suspension from last year negate everything he's done in his career? I almost thought you said PED suspension. If, if those are a banned <laughs> substance, I'm never <laughs> submitting to a drug yeah. test anywhere. All right, uh, we're going to table linebackers. we got to get the offensive line. This gives us something we can do since we don't have preseason games to talk about. Ordinarily, on this Friday, August the 14th, we'd be talking about the first th- full Thursday night of preseason games, but we know that won't happen this year, so we'll get back to the Hall of Fame discussion later this month. For now, we're going to take a draft. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a draft and then have a break. We're going to take a break and then have a draft. Inspired by something Kyler Murray said yesterday about his offensive weapons, we'll do that when PFT Live continues right after. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Is there a possibility in your mind that D-Hop, Fitz, and Kirk could all get 1,000 yards this year? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, definitely think, uh, I definitely think that's possible. Kyler Murray, uh, and you know what? It's now a thing to look at three teammates that can get over 1,000 yards, even though it hasn't happened in 12 years. 2008 Cardinals, they made it to the Super Bowl that year, by the way. Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolton, and Steve Breston, each over 1,000. Breston, barely over 1,000, but it happened thanks to our friends at NFL Research for pointing that out yesterday. So what we're going to do today, we're going to draft the teams most likely to have three players, not necessarily receivers, with each in excess of 1,000, just three teammates who go over 1,000 yards from scrimmage this year can be running backs, can be receivers, can be tight ends, can be anybody. That's today's draft. And my understanding is Shireen has a very easy and simple what color is blue type of trivia question for me today. Absolutely, Mike. So here it goes. 
who was the last receiver and the only one since 1960 to lead the league in receiving yards with fewer than 1,000? It's got to be Drew Pearson. It's got to be Drew what Pearson. What year was it? <laughs> Probably 1975. What? Yeah, it was 1977. He had 870 yards. The only time since 1960 yeah. that's happened. Very good. Um, that was, yeah, that I, was I, what, what color what, is what, blue. Yeah, well, well no, because I knew it was going to be silver and blue crammed up my uh, football memories um, from 1975. I, and let's have a point of clarification here because I mentioned 1,000 yards from scrimmage. For running backs, are we doing 1,000 yards combined from scrimmage or it has to be 1,000 yards no. rushing or 1,000 yards receiving rushing. for the running back? Yes. Okay, thousand, thousand yards, either rushing. or, rushing or receiving. So not from scrimmage. All right, well, I, look, I'm going to pick the trio that's already done it, right? They did it with a lesser head coach than what they have now. They did it with Freddie Kitchens, Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and Nick Chubb. Last year, all three had over 1,000. Beckham and Landry were banged up all year long. They're healthy now. Of course, everybody's healthy now for the most part. But if they did it last year... There's no reason to think they can't do it again this year. So give me the Browns, Beckham, Landry, and Chubb. The only reason I do have them as one of my first or second picks, and the only reason I say that they won't do it this year is because they have more weapons than they had last year. They have Austin Hooper. They have Kareem Hunt for a full season. So this might be a team that has too many weapons where they spread it out too much, where ODB commands the ball, demands the ball, uh, and they have to pass it to him. But I do think Cleveland is right there simply because they did do it last year. I think you start by looking at the teams that had the the highest – offenses last season the most yards and that's Dallas Baltimore Tampa Bay San Francisco those types of teams Cowboys led the league in offense with just under 7,000 yards so we're talking almost half their offense and they did it last year too they had Ezekiel Elliott Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and this year they have C.D. Lamb and I guess that's the only thing you worry about them not getting it is they have too many weapons but they did it last year I think they'll do it again this year. I think they'll put up a lot of yards and contend for having most yards in the NFL this season. I'm stunned that you would pick the Dallas Cowboys trio, although that would have been my other first pick. I almost thought about taking them just so you couldn't. But, yes, when you look at – and they could actually have four. Amari Cooper recently said he and Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb could each have over 1,000 yards receiving, and I think it's a given that unless he's injured, Ezekiel Elliott's going to get 1,000 yards rushing. All right. Uh, now it gets a little more challenging. I'm going to – it's not necessarily out on a limb. I, I am going to wager that given the decision by Damian Williams to opt out in Kansas City, that's going to guarantee Clyde Edwards-Hilaire delivers on the promise that made him the only first-round running back this year, gets 1,000 rushing yards, although with Andy Reid, you never quite know. You may not get the ball enough times to get 1,000 rushing yards, but Edwards-Hilaire – Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins in Kansas City would be my next pick because I think for Hill and what now with Watkins, you know, the injury bug is there, but he's in a contract year. He's got the motivation. Edwards Hilaire, I think, is going to get his thousand. Hill, Hill's just going to just show up and get his thousand. Injury, what whatever, Travis he's Kelsey? still going to be fine. Well, I, I don't, yeah, I, I'd go, I, with a tight end, I'm, I, I'm reluctant to say a thousand yards receiving. I'm just reluctant to do that because it's not nearly year. as. I know it's just not easy as it is with receivers, though. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go Watkins Hill and Edwards Hilaire. And if okay. if Kelsey does it too, then it's just icing on the cake. Okay. 
I'm going to go with the team that ranked second in offense last season, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. And you may give me a little asterisk here because one of those guys who went over 1,000 yards last year was Lamar Jackson in rushing, and he may or may not do that again uh, this year. And, you know, I think they've got enough weapons with Mark Ingram and Mark Edwards and Hollywood Brown uh, and Lamar maybe rushing for over 1,000 again that they're able to do it. So if I'm going to pick three of those, I'm going to say Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson since they're, they're built around the run. Uh, and I know they have J.K. Dobbins this year too and Devin DuVernay and all that. But I'm going to go Hollywood Brown, uh, Lamar Jackson, and Mark Ingram go over 1,000 yards. Yeah, I, I would not be confident that anybody in that offense is going to have 1,000 yards receiving. But if anybody does it, yeah. it's Hollywood Brown, and they're very excited about how healthy he is this year. Last year he had a big impact, even though he was still recovering from that foot problem that uh, that really you know, it helped the Ravens get him where they got him because it hurt his draft stock because he couldn't do anything prior to the 2019 draft and it ended up working out very well for the Ravens. All right, um, boy, I can go a lot of different directions here. Um I, I'm I'm very tempted to go Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, but with a rookie receiver, you never know what he's you never know what a rookie receiver is gonna do. I'm gonna play a little safer and say Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and Emmanuel Sanders with the New Orleans Saints. I, I and I know with Kamara, the idea of a thousand yards rushing is probably a bit of a stretch, but he's in a contract year. And I, I feel like uh, they're going to get the most out of him in this contract year, unless he gets a new contract before the season starts. But I, I feel like they, they really want to unleash this guy. He wasn't healthy last year, and he still had a fairly solid season when you combine rushing and receiving. But I, I, just, I feel like this Saints offense this year, the last time they're getting the band together with Drew Brees, Sean Payton's going to have them dialed up, and they're going to generate some big numbers. And I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to make a huge difference, and everybody's going to be trying to stop Michael Thomas, and they're ultimately not going to be able to stop him. They can slow him down. They're not going to be able to stop him. So I'll take those three guys. Boy, it, it, it's tough for this last pick. As you said, there's a lot of different directions you can go. I even had some teams that, that maybe you wouldn't quickly think of, like the Raiders. I think they've got a chance to do it. Uh, the 49ers obviously have a chance to do it. Atlanta has a chance to do it. But I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. And we didn't even talk about the Cardinals, who, who were the last team to do it and who were openly talking about doing it. But Larry Fitzgerald hasn't had a 1,000-yard season since 2017, so I'm not sure he's capable of quite getting there uh, this year, but I'm going to go with the Buccaneers simply because they were so good last year on offense, and I just think adding Brady to that uh, and Rob Gronkowski uh, creates more of that. Now, I don't think they're going to have a rush or rush for a thousand yards, but I'm going to go with Gronk, Evans, and uh, Godwin to get over a thousand yards. Wow. Two of those guys did it wow. last year. Gronk hasn't had one, I understand, in a long time. He had 682 the last time he played, uh, but I, I think this wow. is a team capable of having three with a thousand yards. See, I think what they're going to do with Gronk is they're going to ease him in and they're going to have O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait as the main two tight ends early in the year and maybe that trade one of them at the deadline and unleash Gronk the back half of the season. Because, you know, in 2018, his last season in the NFL, we had kind of forgotten about him because he wasn't yeah. performing at the level we were used to. But you know what that meant? That meant he was healthy for the playoff push. And I think that's part of the understanding they have in Tampa Bay. You know, because when they first – when they first acquired him in a trade with the Patriots, I thought O.J. Howard's out. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe he's not out. Maybe Gronk is a guy who comes along more slowly. So I think he's going to have a hard time getting to 1,000. Uh, I also had Christian McCaffrey, D.J. Moore, and Robbie Anderson. I, I just, I, you know, and I love Teddy Bridgewater. I just, I can't 
get myself to the point where I can project a pair of thousand yard receivers in that Carolina offense. I don't know enough about that Carolina Agreed. offense at this point with Joe Brady running it, but, but, but DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are both capable and we know Christian McCaffrey is going to be a given. Does it count if McCaffrey goes a thousand rushing and a thousand receiving? Does that count as two? And all we <laughs> need one more. One, I think you just get one all for right. that. All right. 49ers uh, look pretty good our, too with, I worry about the 49ers, though, because it's con- – you know, who's going to have 1,000 yards rushing for the 49ers? Who's going to do it? You never know who's no, going to get the Moser, hot hand. Is it going to be Jarek McKinnon? But yeah, that's a well, that's No, they've the had – Shereen, they've had, they've had Jarek McKinnon in mothballs. I mean, he's been injured, but, but he hasn't played at all in two years. They gave him a big contract. If he's healthy, you know, they, they talk about the Raheem Mostert contract and he got all sorts of incentives. He may not have a chance to earn them because of Jarek McKinnon if it finally takes off. So I, I think with – the 49ers, it's going to be one of those things where after the fact, we can look back and say, hey, look, they had two or three guys that had over 1,000 yards. But going into the season, I, I would not even begin to want to try to guess at who the three are going to be because with that team, you just never know. Yeah, absolutely. And they had one last year, which was George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Raheem Mozart came close, 800 and 700 yards respectively. So they were close, but they didn't even do it last year. They didn't even have two guys last year with that. All right, there are the picks for today. The trio most likely to get 1,000 yards each. We will wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. We're just 10 days away from the debut of PFT Live on Peacock, NBC's new streaming service. Incredibly popular, millions of downloads of the app. It's available on smart TVs, it's available on tablets, on computers, wherever. It's so easy. And Shireen, I'm getting questions from people. We still have the re-air from 9 to 11. We're still on NBCSN. We're not abandoning NBCSN. We're going to be on Peacock Live from 7 to 9. Peacock is incredibly easy to find. And it's there. You don't have to see it live. Somebody said, oh, I can't DVR it. You don't have to DVR it. You can watch it anytime on Peacock. So that's coming up in just 10 days, Shireen. We are, we are stepping into a new frontier. Streaming is the future, and we're part of it in 10 days. Let's do it, Peacock. It's been very enjoyable to have, and I hope everyone will join in on Peacock and watch us. And we'll still be on Sirius XM 211 every morning. Tune in app, more and more places to get PFT Live. And also, the VOD segments on ProFootballTalk.com. We will be posting them from today's show all weekend long. You'll see clips from all week throughout the weekend and into next week. So check us out all weekend at ProFootballTalk.com. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you on Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.